0: You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. This is Real Fiction. I'm your host, Lori Messing-McGarry. On Real Fiction, I talk with authors, journalists, scholars, and changemakers about the real and imaginary forces that fuel stories, reportage, and social impact. Earlier this year, I learned about a book club on the campus of Northwest Missouri State University. Dr. Justin Mallett is the professor charged with leading and coordinating the university's efforts on diversity and inclusion. He is also the visionary behind the Bearcat Diversity Book Club. This caught my attention, in part because Missouri is home to some of the most racially divisive incidents in the United States in recent years. And I wanted to know how you create a space for meaningful dialogue through books. And spoiler alert, does it work? Yes, it does, because I've seen the results in action. Joining me from Maryville, Missouri, to discuss his approach for navigating some of the most challenging issues we face is Dr. Justin Mallett. Uh, Dr. Mallett, welcome to Real Fiction.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I first learned about your work with diversity and inclusion when a friend told me about the book club you created on the campus of Northwest Missouri State University. This is in Maryville, Missouri, and just point of geography, it's kind of close to the Iowa and Nebraska borders, so right in the center of the country. And I became so interested when I learned about your background and considered the geography of these work efforts. And I wondered if you could just share something about your life journey. What does diversity inclusion mean to you, and how did you end up in this field of education?
1: My life journey uh, is: I was born and raised in a small town called Kosciuszko, Mississippi, and, and growing up, uh, I grew up in a in a in a segregated community. So. Almost everything in my community was uh, segregated, though. White people had their side of town. White people had black people had their side of town. White people had their own park. The black people had their own parks and everything was pretty much uh, segregated, except for when we went to school pretty much. And that was we I went to school at an integrated school, but really outside of sports, everything else was segregated. So uh I share with all of everybody that I talked to, like my high school prom was a segregated prom. So the whites had mm. their own prom and the blacks had their own prom. And so uh from that I moved from Kosciuszko, Mississippi to Stevens Point, Wisconsin to go to college. And at that time, that's when I started to learn a little bit more about diversity and inclusion, just the different intersections and whatnot. And then being on a predominantly white campus, the reason why I got into this work is because I wanted to provide Uh, Inspiration. I want to provide guidance for other underrepresented or marginalized students who are also on campus. And they, I wanted them to be able to see somebody who also had went through, went through the same experiences that they are currently experiencing. So they realize that they're not there alone. Uh, that diversity and inclusion journey for me and what it means to me, the diversity piece is more about just understanding who you are, who you are as a person. What are those unique, attributes and characteristics that make you the human being that you are. And the inclusion piece is creating a strong sense of belonging or welcoming, not only for our students on campus, but also within the community as well. Because the only way that I feel the only way you can really uh, move the needle in this work is you have to be able to see yourself in it. And if you can see yourself in it, I think more people are willing to join in and help make the change that's needed.
0: I think that's remarkable that you were raised in Mississippi and then landed in Wisconsin for education, and now you find yourself in Missouri to introduce this work to students. And, you know, it feels particularly challenging at this time, and you and I talked about this a bit before today's conversation, that you're working with students who are away from home for the first time, and they're finding their voice and their identity. So you bring a wealth of of knowledge to how that works. What is racial identity? How does it develop? And is it a little different for students of color than it is for uh, white students?
1: You know, that racial identity it starts to come as you start to you learn about different things and you start to get uh, get exposed to to different things that uh, your your life experience helps shape. And view the way that you view and see the world. And so for a lot of our students, both whether you are a majority student or underrepresented minority, the things that you experience and the things that you're exposed to, you may only have been exposed to one particular racial group or one particular intersectional mm. identity growing up. And so when you end up coming to college, you end up seeing a, I call it a smorgasbord of different identities. Uh, on a college campus, you have people of different religions. You have different, uh, you have international students. You have different, you have different races and ethnicities. And you have all these different concepts and all of a sudden uh, everything that you may have learned growing up or what you heard from your parents or what you are in school or in church, those things start to clash. And mm-hmm. so as you start to develop your identity, you start to on a college campus, it leads itself to more and more discussion. And so uh, how does racial identity uh, develop in, uh, in uh, especially in underrepresented students? Uh, there, there's a theory out there that kind of goes through the steps And in the beginning of it, it's uh, for and I'm going to use black students as an example. uh, When they come on a predominantly white campus, they typically say, hey, you know what? I feel comfortable on on this campus because I go to school with white students. I interact with white students. Some of my friends are white students. And then uh, when they're on campus, they may experience an incident. And when they experience that incident, it causes they cause it causes some friction, cause it causes some uh, distortion. At that point in time, this, uh, the student starts to go through things and and when they're in that third stage of their identity development, there is nothing that a majority person can say to them because the, the thing that goes through their mind is, is how can you relate? How can you understand? And so we have to be willing to let students go through that, our underrepresented students go through that And then eventually they get back to the point where they realize that in order for me to make change, I also have to bring our majority population along with them so they can see Mm -hmm. themselves within the journey. And then at the same time, your majority group is also going through the same identity development as well, because they may not, especially here in Missouri and working with a lot of students from a lot of rural towns. They haven't had any exposure to uh, diversity and inclusion before our underrepresented populations. So they have to be willing to also they go through this process of a little bit of guilt, a little bit of fragility. But then Mm -hmm. it comes to a point where they start to realize, well, here's how I can use my access, my privilege and my power to make some change and to influence change. And so, so at the same time that our majority students are, go- our minority students are going through it, our majority students are going through the same thing. And then once you see that unity and that cross-cultural learning take place, that's when the voice becomes powerful enough to be able to influence change.
0: I am familiar with the rural communities uh, that surround Maryville. So what you end up with in on campus and in your classroom is a mix of students from Kansas City um, and students from very small schools who, as you note, are experiencing the world in a new way for the first time. How do you introduce these topics? How do you sequence the the books and the conversation to create a safe space for meaningful dialogue?
1: I think when we first started, when the idea of the book club first started, it was after the, the murder of George Floyd. And what I noticed was, is that everybody wanted to start with the immediate book of How to Be Anti-Racist by, by Dr. Kendi and White Fragility by Robin D, Dr. Robin DiAngelo. Yes. And what I noticed was a lot of people were reading the books But they were starting at a level where uh, there wasn't, as they were reading it, I felt like there wasn't a clear understanding of what actually needed to be said and have some honest conversation and honest dialogue. So let's just start at level one. And to me, Mm -hmm. level one was so you want to talk about race because so even when we talk about race allowed all of our participants to start at a baseline level, being able to say and define what is racism. Uh, Here are some of the scenarios that I see from, can I touch your hair, Uh, to color blindness, to different things like that. And so once we're able to establish a common definition of racism, that allowed us to be able to go into an even more focused conversation, and we started. We read the book. Why Are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria?
0: Yes, and can you can you remind listeners the the authors of those two books you just mentioned?
1: Uh sure. The book. Uh, so you want to talk about race? Ajima Olu, and it's O L U O. And so that's so you want to talk about race. And and really, every chapter in that book, it was about a question that was related to race. And really, that book really opened up the door to be able to have a conversation about what is racism? Why are our students angry? What are microaggressions? Some of the basic terms that I felt that that our participants needed to understand so we can further delve in into the topic. Beverly Tatum's book, Took uh, allowed our participants to really truly understand racial identity theory in its purest form. Why were our students on campus angry after everything that happened over the course of the summer? And it really, we were, we were really able to hone in on why our, in particular, our black students were really upset over the course of the summer. And it allowed us to start to look at things from a much, much more broader and inclusive level. so that's why I I brought that book in. The third book by uh, Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility, that book it forced our participants to look within themselves. Now once we got to the point where you can start to look within yourself and really truly realize the power and the privilege that you have, especially on the college campus as as employees, it really, really honed in for our participants to say, okay, now I see myself. Now I understand that I do have privilege. I do have power. I do have access. What am I doing to help influence change? And that was, that's the, that's the key point of that book. What was amazing that was after we finished reading the book, everybody started to see why and understand why sometimes they got defensive because we talked the conversation that we had was is um, the worst thing that you can call a white person is a racist. And so the moment that that happens, we white people tend to get a little bit more defensive and they either don't want to talk about it or they try to do things to try to change the perception. And sometimes it's not about changing the perception. It's just understanding the viewpoint and understanding Well, I really do have this access and I do have this privilege, but I'm not doing anything to help make the change that I've talked about or that I would like to see in creating an inclusive environment. So the books were strategically placed. uh, The titles were strategically discussed and it's it's really had a huge impact on campus, especially with our participants.
0: My guest today is Dr. Justin Mallett. He heads up the Diversity and Inclusion Program at Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville, Missouri. We're talking broadly about diversity and inclusion. And um, as a reminder, I learned about his work through the Bearcat Diversity Book Club. Dr. Mallett, I'd like to ask you another question about how you set these uh, discussions forth. When you're introducing a book or a topic, um, how do you encourage students to speak? Who speaks first? You, the students? The sequencing of the books is brilliant. How do you sequence the discussions in an actual book club?
1: What I do is, uh, before each section, I send out uh, a list of questions for our participants just to give them something to think about and some context of what the, how the discussion is going to go uh, ahead of time. Uh, so as they're reading the chapters, they like, okay, this is, here are some things that I can think about. Once we get into the session, the first thing that I ask is, is there anything that surprised you? What are your thoughts about the chapters that you read? Because my experience and me doing diversity inclusion work all the time, my interpretations and my views could be completely different. And so my, my process and my goal is to take you on a learning journey at the pace that you feel comfortable with. So we'll have some participants in our book club that won't say anything because I understand that they may be at a different point where they're not willing to, they don't want to share quite yet, but we'll get them to that point. And then we have participants who want to share a lot about what they read and what they learned and then comparing it and having a comparison and contrast point because we always come back to the overall big picture. How can we change the current campus environment and the local Maryville community?
0: As uh, all of us are trying to be uh, more aware and accepting and uh, inclusive, we have to navigate our own moments of unconscious bias. And this is a term that gets uh, fed into the media a lot. And some people just tune out and say, well, you you have an unconscious bias, but Uh, We do. And I I will tell you that I had a moment when a friend said, Lori, do you realize that what you just did was a moment of unconscious bias? And she said, do you realize that you asked me to speak to another black woman, probably because it's a little more convenient, and you thought that we would speak a certain language together? And I got defensive and I said, no, I didn't do that. I did that because you are a powerful person in this community. And you—you uh, you know I, I had all of these reactions. And then she did something. She gave me this, what I would call a space of grace to just kind of sit back and reflect on it. And I realized that I actually did do that. And I had to think about it a lot and it felt kind of a little embarrassing and vulnerable, but it was a process for me to go through and understanding that I do have a bias and that she gave me the gift of understanding it, stepping back and allowing me to kind of grow.
1: One of the things that all of our employees now and students, they, they know is is that we all have bias, no matter what we do, no matter how we shape it, no matter who we are. We all have bias because of where we grew up, the world that we the world that we live in, the way that we view things. We all have bias. And so the book club allows particular it allows you uh, a couple of things. What you just mentioned, a space for grace uh, is something that it allows our participants to do. But what it also allows is it allows for it allows for empathy to take place. So mm-hmm. for me to be able to hear the experiences, what uh, our participants share, a lot of people in the book club, they always wonder, well, what is what, is, what does is Dr. Ballard think about me now? I'm sharing this story And what does Dr. Mallet think? And I don't give any feedback or any judgment. Mm -hmm. I allow them to be able to share their story because they need that empathy. They need that grace to be able to share and to be able to understand. My job is to be able to help our employees and our students understand when their bias comes into play. And so the best example I always give is, is if you ask me for feedback, you're going to get my feedback, but it's going to be very biased because it's my feedback. <laughs> and so, even with the incident that you mentioned uh, with a colleague, you know, um, the other thing that our students and our we talk about with our students and our employees is the intent versus impact argument, mm-hmm. and it's very important for everybody to understand the intent versus impact because that leads that lends itself to developing empathy. The in, your your intent was she's a powerful speaker. She will be able to get the point across in a much, much more fluid and direct manner. But the impact that it had on me as a marginalized, underrepresented person being asked to speak to another marginalized and mm-hmm. underrepresented okay. person, the impact of it was negative. And so we have to understand, even though we may, even though majority folks may have good intentions, the impact that it may have on a marginalized person is real. And, and, and when the defensiveness comes into play is uh, the moment that a marginalized person says, hey, this is how it made me feel. For a majority person, they immediately think, oh, my gosh, this person thinks that I'm racist. It's not that they think that you're racist it's the Im- impact that you had, it was a little bit different. And so being, helping our participants understand that is very, very, very critical. And I think that was probably another, probably one of the biggest takeaways that our participants got, are getting from the book club is my intent may be good, but really understanding and being able to listen to the impact that it has on a marginalized person.
0: When I think about uh, what you're doing on campus, I think about the broader community. And in this case, it's Maryville, Missouri. And there is, I think, a critical connection between campus and the community where you're living. And if a student or a faculty member is to feel um, valued and included, then that's going to show up everywhere beyond the campus, banking, real estate, uh, insurance companies, uh, restaurants, how does your university work connecting with the broader community of Maryville?
1: If it was just doing the work on campus and within the four walls of campus, I think we could do that and be very efficient. But our students and our employees have to live in the community, go out and interact in the community. And so uh, this goes along with the approach. The approach that we adopted and that we' said is is you can't say, You can't say that Maryville is a racist community without being willing to help change the narrative. What are the solutions behind it? Maryville, Missouri is 97 percent white. So the exposure to diversity and inclusion and underrepresented minorities is minimal. So because it's minimal, how are we going to help aid in the change? And so uh, we made this uh, a huge emphasis last year. And so I went in and I met, I sat down with our city council and we had a whole conversation about diversity and inclusion. And the question was posed to me, well, what do you suggest, Dr. Malik? Well, the first thing is for city council to go through diversity and awareness training, diversity awareness training. Well, they they got behind it and they're going through diversity awareness training. The next thing was the school district, getting the school district to go through diversity and awareness training. Well, they dedicate two professional development days each year for diversity and inclusion.
0: Um, and that's that's the first time that this is taken place in Maryville.
1: It, correct. You're, you're absolutely correct. Okay. And so, and now what we also did was is we said, okay, you know, we're seeing some incidents that may happen in businesses and stuff. And so, we changed, we created a campus a community connections affinity group and we have some key stakeholders from the community in that group. So we have the manager of the grocery store in town. We have the business chamber director. We have somebody from the banking industry. We have someone from the housing industry. We have key community members on, the, on that team that allows us to be able to share the thoughts and share the experiences that students are having within the community, and then working together to make change happen.
0: I see your work as a national and global model for conversation because you're giving everyone space to grow. You've thought about how to sequence the books and the cognitive development on some of the most difficult issues. Can you share what book you're reading this semester in the Bearcat Diversity
1: Book Club, starting Monday, we have uh, we will be reading the book How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kendi. I think this is going to be a a strong culmination to the first three books because now we've been able to look in, we've been able to look within ourselves, we've been able to acknowledge our biases, we've been able to understand where students are coming from. Now it's time to have a conversation about the policies that are currently in place that benefits our majority, but doesn't really, but creates barriers for our marginalized and underrepresented population. Now this book is what I'm hoping is going to be to action.
0: I'm speaking today with Dr. Justin Mallett. He is the Assistant Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion at Northwest Missouri State University. Dr. Mallett, I hope this isn't the last time we will talk. I'm very interested to see what happens with uh, the conversations this semester. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the program today, and I'm going to try to get you back again.
1: Oh, thank you. Anytime. I I love to work. So anytime I can share some of the great things that we're doing and the impact that it's having not only on campus, but in the community. I'm more than willing to share.
0: You've been listening to Real Fiction on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. I'm your host, Lori Messing McGarry. Thanks for listening.